0: Hey, good morning, church. How are you? Remember, I said you should never really ask anybody how they are, because I don't have time to listen right now. So. And, you know, vice versa. So, Open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14, please. Or you can navigate on your e-device. You can follow along with our transcript if you can get over there. But uh, anyway, Isaiah chapter 14. And we're putting in at verse 24, and then we are, yes, going through chapter 17. So, wow. But don't worry, I'm hungry too, so. That's our text. The topic, Isaiah reveals what he calls the purpose God purposed for certain nations and involved with Israel and Judah. And so the title of our message is The Purpose-Driven Churches or Nations. rather. I knew I'd get that wrong. The purpose-driven nations. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We're grateful and appreciative, Lord, that we could be here this morning in this particular configuration of saints. I want to pray for anybody who's maybe not a believer here this morning, Lord, that uh, in their seeking you for whatever it is that they need or what's on their heart or just being drawn by you, they would see Jesus either in the worship or in the word or in the life of some of the Christians here, Lord, and that they would be drawn to that light And that he he would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, Lord, into the kingdom of light by receiving Christ as their Savior. We thank you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen. History 140, Africa and the French Atlantic. That's an elective history class you can take at my alma mater, UC Riverside. Maybe it's just me, but that title doesn't really grab me. I mean, I can't remember the last time I was worried about the French Atlantic, whatever that is. History 001, the historian as detective. I'll sign up for that, even if it's not my major. That sounds encouraging. How about this? Eighth century BC Semitic conflicts. Well, I'd pass on that too, except it isn't a college class. It's chapters 13 through 27. 15 chapters in the heart of the book of Isaiah. It's the mountain that everybody needs to climb that keeps people from studying Isaiah. Two verses in chapter 14 provide a great explanation of what's going on with the nations. It says uh, in verses 26 and 27, This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. This is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? God has purposes for Gentile nations. The purpose God purposed for four of those is in our passage. We'll look at Assyria, Philistia, Moab, and Damascus, which is Syria. Now, we are not Isaiah's audience. He didn't write to the church. He wasn't anticipating us. He's writing to Jews. But we can be sure that Jesus is in this passage Since we know that he came in the volume of the book we learn in Hebrews. In other words, everything in this book, these books, this Bible uh, points to him in some way or anticipates him. And in that sense, if we're careful uh, to not confuse ourselves with Israel, there'll be a lot of gleanings that we can have just in terms of God's dealings with his people in general. The Lord's going to tell us four things about his nature. From Assyria, God says, I remove your burdens. From Philistia, God says, I am your refuge. From Moab, God says, I am not willing that any perish. And from Damascus, God says, you forget me at your own peril. And so let's take a quick look at Assyrian, verse uh, 24 through 27 of chapter 14, where God says, I remove your burdens. What if it was the day after Christmas, 1991, and you heard that the Soviet Union had dissolved? That was a cause for rejoicing, right? You think, well, what what do we care about the Soviet Union on the other side of the world? Well, we care a lot about it in the 90s because there was the Cold War. And everybody was worried about a real war, uh, a nuclear war. this is the kind of excitement a Jew would have hearing about Assyria and the defeat of Assyria. And so while we can't really enter into the fullness of that joy, uh, we can know what it's like to have an enemy dealt with. And so verse 24, chapter 14 The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely I have thought, so it shall come to pass, and as I have purposed, so it shall stand. Uh, That word purposed is in here several times. We might say it's all going according to plan. Uh, He says, the purpose for which I've purposed, well, it's, it's all going according to plan. History is not random. It has a beginning in Genesis and reveals a forever future in the Revelation. God has published that plan, and so it shall stand. You know, there are things called uh, theories of history. And if you're a history major or just a, a reader, you've probably encountered these are various different theories of how history works and what's going on and all. History is not random, and there's no theory to it. It, it, is, it is in the Bible. It began in Genesis with the creation of uh, man in the garden, and it continues for eternity. And so we have a real handle on what's going to happen. And God says, so it shall stand. There's no chance that it's going to turn out differently. It's not going to be like that Mandela effect where one day you wake up and Revelation has a different ending and everybody is okay with that. We're headed towards exactly what God says is going to happen. Verse 25 I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulders. In every sports movie, I expect someone to say, this is our house. You know what I mean? They're coming into our house. We're not going to let them beat us in our house. God is going to break the Assyrian in his land, on his mountains. It's going to be evident to his people. They're coming to his house. You know, the devil takes the battle to God's house. He advances, he accuses, he attacks. Individually and together, we are God's house on the earth. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body corporately is the temple of the Holy Spirit on earth. And so we need to have this not in my house attitude. We're just not going to allow the devil to gain ground. And we need to uh, stand against him and apply the word of God. Now verse 26. This is the purpose that is purposed against the whole earth. It is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed and who will annul it? and his hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? God has a purpose that he has purposed, a plan. It is to save mankind by sending Jesus Christ to earth as the God-man through the nation of Israel. That is God's plan, hatched right in the beginning. After a little bit about the you know, the creation of the universe, God got right into him and Adam and Eve dealing together. Uh, Adam and Eve sinned. And God says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send the seed of the woman, referring to a virgin birth where God became flesh and died for the sins of the world. And so that's the plan. His hand here represents all the power he needs to make the plan happen. You could with accurately say he's got the world in his hand. And so this is the plan. I have the power. He stretches it out, employing his providence, to see to it, nations accomplish his will. And so that's a, a real simple theory of history that is actually the fact of history. God is, wants to save through Jesus Christ who he promised. He has the power to do so. And even as mankind and the devil seek to thwart him, he has providence to overrule and keep his plan on track. Nations don't always obey God. I don't want anybody to leave here thinking, well, everything's set. You know, God's going to just force nations to do things. Nations don't always obey God. Every nation decides its own course. Jeremiah explained it this way. This is Jeremiah 18. He says, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I've thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I have said it would benefit it. Uh, People often wonder, they ask, where is the United States in Bible prophecy? Uh, You need to start saying, well, we are in Bible prophecy. The United States is absolutely in Bible prophecy in Jeremiah 18. Where we are, it hurts our pride a little bit, but we are lumped together with all the other Gentile nations of the world. And we understand that God has a specific purpose for our nation. We may not know exactly what it is, or obviously we've kind of lost track of it at this point, but uh, like like other nations. And um, if we obey God, he'll bless us. And if we disobey God, he can't bless us. It's as simple as that. And so the United States, absolutely in prophecy in Jeremiah 18, we decide our own course based on our uh, godliness or righteousness or lack thereof. And then beyond that, you say, well, how do we know how we're doing? Well, then you would turn into uh, over to Romans chapter 1, and later in the chapter, there's a whole bunch of characteristics of a nation whom God has removed his protection from. He doesn't say, I'm going to judge you or I'm going to send fire and you know, brim. So he just says, you don't want to uh, know me? I'll step back and you can do your own thing. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take long for human beings to destroy everything that's good. And so if you go through Romans 1, you know, so here's what I think. I think we're in the part of Jeremiah 18 where we're saying, yeah, we don't want to obey you. We meaning our nation as as a whole. And number two, we're down, we're in this downward spiral. And uh, obviously there's hope for it, right? Because God, uh, will relent and re- if we repent, and we can get back on top of things. If you're not a believer, God removes the yoke of sin and death that burdens you. He took it upon himself. You say you are a believer. Okay, why are you carrying any burdens? In the classic allegory of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian's burden is a heavy weight that represents the weight of sin on his soul. He's de- desperate to find a way to be relieved of it. Along the way, he meets various characters who offer him advice and guidance, and he encounters many obstacles that test his faith and resolve. Eventually, Christian comes to the foot of the cross where his burden is lifted, and he experiences a profound sense of relief and forgiveness. From that point on, he is able to continue his journey unencumbered by the weight of his past sins. Martin Luther said, either sin is lying on your shoulders or it is lying on Christ, and if it is resting on Christ... You are free. And so God uh, takes your burdens. Philistia, or the Philistines, I am your refuge. If any nation was the arch enemy of God's people, it was the Philistines. Their animosity towards one another is illustrated nicely in the story of David versus Goliath. Goliath of Gath, the Philistine giant. So verse 28, this is the burden which came in the year that King Ahaz died. Do not rejoice, all you of Philistia, because the rod that struck you is broken. For out of the serpent's roots will come a viper, and its offspring will be a fiery flying serpent. The phrase, all of you, is an accurate one because Philistia, uh, the Philistines, were a confederation of cities. Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gaza, Ekron, and Gath. They weren't one uh, nation with a capital. They were a confederation of various (laughs) city-states. Isaiah warned the Philistines not to rejoice in the death of the current king of Assyria, for his son would be worse. This gets into the Italian proverb, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, right? At least you uh, figure out who your enemy is and how to deal with him. And so the next king would be even worse. What do the snakes represent? Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum concludes, they represent three key members of the house of David. Ahaz was the snake. Under him, territory was lost to the Philistines. Under his successor and son, Hezekiah, the viper, most of the territory would be regained. The fiery flying serpent is the Messiah, under whom there would be a total future occupation of Philistia. Now, like me, I'm sure you read that and think, well, wait a minute, you know, the serpent can't be anything good. It's just a symbol. Uh, just because you know the devil came to our parents in the garden as a snake as a, you know, doesn't mean that snakes are forever uh, to be thought of that way. And anytime you have a snake in a Bible passage, it's terrible. And so, but in the context, it's like he's talking about the succession of leadership in uh, Judah and Jerusalem and and that it would first be uh, Ahaz and then Hezekiah and then ultimately their Messiah. Verse 30, the firstborn of the poor will feed and the needy will lie down in safety. I will kill your roots with famine and I will slay your remnant. The firstborn of the poor are the poorest of the poor. For Israel, there would be food and safety. For the Philistines, there would be famine. And those who survived the famine would be slain. Verse 31, Wail, O gate, cry, O city. All of you, Philistia, are dissolved, for smoke will come from the north and no one will be alone in his appointed times. What will they answer to the messengers of the nation? That the Lord has founded Zion, and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. The invading Assyrians would be seen afar off, obviously. If any Gentile messengers asked what was going on, they would be told that the Lord was fulfilling his promises to Zion, protecting the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Zion is synonymous with Jerusalem, the place that God loves. Our friends over at gotquestions.org, have you discovered that site, gotquestions.org? Uh, we don't agree with 100%, you know, with what they say, but no, no one agrees 100%. I don't agree 100% with me uh, sometimes. You know, I have some great arguments and stuff, you know. But uh, good sight for quick, uh, you know, uh, understanding of, and, and, you know, further understanding. They give you some references of just about anything you can think about. So good people over there. And so they say the word Zion is also used in a theological or spiritual sense in Scripture In the Old Testament, Zion refers figuratively to Israel as the people of God. In the New Testament, Zion refers to God's spiritual kingdom. We have not come to Mount Sinai, but to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, Christians are not promised physical refuge. Quite the opposite. Jesus told us that we would have tribulation in the world, not be in the tribulation, but we would have tribulation, trouble in the world. Persecution is the norm, not the exception. Now we have been blessed in the West, and especially here in our country. And uh, you know, I'm sure there are certain things that the devil is doing to persecute Christians, but not on a level that he would like. Uh, Not what you read about in Fox's Book of Martyrs or what's going on in the world even today, in terms of real martyrdom and stuff. And so, uh, you know, we are definitely not promise that we will be uh, kept away from all of that. We are pilgrims and strangers on the earth. That sounds kind of romantic, doesn't it? Pilgrims and strangers, we're just camping from place to place, you know, know, wandering and just ministering and all that. Uh, Do you think of yourself as a refugee? That's not so romantic. I've never seen a romantic refugee camp where people are, you know, uh, happy about it carries a much different connotation. Our church, that means the people, not the building, we're a refugee camp. And uh, the thing is, you won't seek Jesus as a refuge if you don't see yourself as a refugee, right? Refugees are people who need refuge. And when Jesus says, I'm your refuge, he says, seek me. Uh, All the things that you're going to be going through, come to me. Forget the answers that the world wants to give you. Struggle with me. That's the other thing. That's one of the real problems. Sometimes I think the world I'm just talking in general now, so hopefully you know nobody will get upset by this, but the world sometimes thinks, hey, you know, we're going to get to the bottom of this, and, and by hard work and we're gonna meet once a week and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that, and we're gonna really take this on. And and then you know uh, and then we think, well, yeah, this has to be hard work. And then maybe you talk to a Christian friend or a counselor or a pastor and they'll say, Jesus has set you free from that. Why are you burdened by that? Let's pray, and let's get the whole, and it's like, I can't, you're you're saying it's almost instantaneous. Well, it can be, just like your salvation was. And we we sometimes discount that. We go, well, you know, church is fine, and studying the Bible is fine, but I have real problems. (laughs) You know, and and so I need, uh, you know, what the world tells me that I need, and and you really don't. Uh, You're a refugee, and you just need to take refuge in Jesus. Moab, chapter 15, I am not willing that any perish. Moab gets the most ink here. Moab had strong ties to Israel, but always opposed them spiritually as well as politically. And so verse 1, chapter 15, the burden against Moab, because in the night, Ar of Moab is laid waste and destroyed, because in the night, Ker of Moab is laid waste and destroyed. He has gone up to the temple and Diban to the high places to weep, Moab will wail over Nebo and over Medeba. On all their heads will be baldness and every beard cut off. Now, you bald guys, don't worry. Um, it means they shaved their heads and their beards, which was a sign of, of shame, you know, of being conquered. Uh, today, man, those chrome domes, beautiful, you know. Sign of maturity and wisdom and intelligence. You notice I have all my hair, so. But anyway, I think I'd rather have hair than wisdom. But anyway... Um, I have a little thinning going on now that's bothering me, so I've been spray painting that part of my head. In their street, they will clothe themselves with sackcloth on the tops of their houses, and in their streets, everyone will wail, weeping bitterly. Heshbon and Elah will cry out. Their voice shall be heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore, the armed soldiers of Moab will cry out. His life will be burdensome to him. There'd be nowhere in Moab that wasn't affected and that didn't mourn by God's judgment. Remember 9-11? It affected our entire nation. It wasn't just, you know, people in New York uh, or, or that area. Some, you know, it, it, all the, like, tor- tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, those kinds of things. We feel for people all over our country. We donate to it. But, you know, it, it doesn't grip us the way... That disaster did, that 9-11. I mean, that was something incredible. And that's what the Lord is saying here about Moab. It's going to be a national disaster. Verse 5, my heart will cry out for Moab. His fugitives shall flee to Zoar, like a three-year-old heifer. Uh, For by the ascent of Luhith, they will go up with weeping. For in the way of Horanaim they will raise up a cry of destruction. It gave Isaiah no pleasure to announce the terrible judgments that would befall Moab. More on this later. Verse 6. For the waters of Nimrim will be desolate. For the green grass has withered away. The grass fails. There's nothing green. Therefore the abundance they have gained. And what they have laid up. They will carry away to the brook of the willows. For the cry is gone all around the borders of Moab. It's wailing to Iglaim And it's wailing to Beer elim For the waters of Dimon will be full of blood. Because I will bring more upon Demon Lions upon him who escapes from Moab and on the remnant of the land. So Moab here is described as fleeing with whatever they could take. I mean, it's a typical scene in this type of warfare. And some of them seem to escape until the wild lions caught them. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's like going from bad to worse, right? I mean, hey, we, we escaped the uh, judgment that came upon us, and the next thing you know, they were eaten. Uh, I was watching a movie the other night, I forget, uh, but um, there was a scene where uh, they're in Africa and they're, you know, they're a rhino knocked over their Jeep or something and they're trying to get up to where they can get a signal on their walkie-talkie and um, these two guys are just talking and just all of a sudden this cheetah came out of nowhere and just devoured this one guy. Remember the first time, maybe you've never seen that because you're a Christian and you don't watch movies, but uh, do you remember the first time in a movie or on television that they showed a, a, the, the car accident happened, you know, where you're sitting there and you look up bam, and the car's right in your face Maybe you just jump out of your seat, you know, it was awesome. But uh, same thing with this. It was like, wow, where did that, the movie was no good until that happened. Then I wanted to watch it some more, you know. But anyway, uh, that's the idea. Say, so, hey, we escaped. And then they're attacked by lions. I mean, man, just repent. Verse 1 of chapter 16, send the lamb to the ruler of the land. From Selah to the wilderness to the mount of the daughter of Zion. To send lambs up to the mount of Zion meant to pay tribute as a sign of submission. Isaiah admonished Moab to submit and pay tribute to Israel, or Judah rather, by sending lambs. They were given a choice. You'll find Moab here uh, more than the other nations are given a choice. Verse 2 For it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest, so shall be the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. Take counsel, execute judgment, make your shadow like the night in the middle of the day, hide the outcast, do not betray him who escapes. Let my outcasts dwell with you, O Moab. Be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. For the executioner is at an end. Devastation ceases. The oppressors are consumed out of the land. In mercy, the throne will be established and one will sit on it in truth in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking justice and hastening righteousness. Now Suddenly, it's Moab being told, let my outcasts dwell with you. That plus the mention of the tabernacle of David is a clue that this passage is a far future prophecy of the kingdom age. Now, imagine a poor Jew listening to this. Uh, they didn't have it on their Kindle. Uh, they couldn't buy the paperback, you know, and they would have to listen to this and hear this. And, and I mean, we look at this and we struggle with, well, what's he talking about? They, and they don't even know the future the way we know the future, right? They, they don't have an outline of the future. Uh, in terms of the rapture. of the, In fact, the, the church is a mystery, so they can't even know anything about the rapture. And so this would be, the, you know, it's like bouncing back and forth. Uh, but that's how God desired to bring prophecy, not, not in some weird Nostradamus, unintelligible manner, but in a way where you're, you have to apply your intelligence to say, oh, wait a minute, there seems to be a change of speaker or a change of context or a change of direction here. And so God, you know, because God can talk about the past, the present, and the future all in the same breath, right? Because it's all his. And I have no idea how God and time work out. We're not getting into that, but you understand. And so all of a sudden he's talking about Moab being a friend to Israel and sheltering Jews. And so obviously we're looking at the kingdom age, or prior to the kingdom age rather, during the time of Jacob's trouble when Israel needs to seek refuge from her enemies Satan will be cast down to earth, and he vents his anger towards them. Those who befriend them by so much as giving them a cold cup of water, God will honor and bless. Now, coming back from the future, verse 6, we have heard the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his haughtiness and his pride and his wrath, but his lies shall not be so. Therefore, Moab shall wail for Moab. Everyone shall wail for the foundations of Ker-Haraseth you shall mourn. Surely they are stricken. For the fields of Heshbon languish and the vine of Sibma. The lords of the nations have uh, broken down its choice plants, which have reached to jazer and wandered through the wilderness. Her branches are stretched out. They're gone over the sea. Let's skip down to verse 12 for a minute. And it shall come to pass when it is seen that Moab is weary on the high place, that he will come to his sanctuary to pray, but he will not prevail. Instead of turning to the Lord... Moab sought her own useless gods. Unbelievers turn to the useless methods of this world for help. We don't need to. We shouldn't. But unbelievers, they, they need help. Spiritual help. They don't, they don't know, you know, but I think a lot of people know that there's something wrong with them. They can't put their finger on it or the devil comes in and starts to say, no, 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 don't listen to that. You're fine or whatever. And, and, you know, there's that warfare going on, but, um, you know, uh, they don't know wh- where to turn, and so they, they turn to the world's religions, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we can help you. I you, uh, gave you that example a couple of weeks ago, I think, of, you know, the monks that mummify themselves. Yeah, all you have to do is be that spiritual. To mu- You need to just mummify yourself, and you'll go to heaven. Uh, all religions want you to do something, and it's, <laughs> it's something you can't do, even if you wanted to, and, yet they try and give you hope. Uh, philosophy, psychology, whatever it is, Don't just turn to the Lord. The religions, the philosophies, the psychologies of the world can sometimes reform you, but they can never transform you. Only God can transform you by giving you his gift, God the Holy Spirit. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning Moab since that time. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, within three years as the years of a hired man, The glory of Moab will be despised with all the great multitude, and the remnant will be very small and feeble. Isaiah gave this prophecy, then sometime later, receive more of it. Always be growing in knowledge. Receive more from the Lord. Don't ever think yet you've solved something. Get deeper into it. I'm not saying you don't have the answer, but get deeper into the answer and understand it. My heart will cry out for Moab, Isaiah said in verse 5 of chapter 15. We skip that, but now we return to verses 9 through 11, where he says, Therefore I will bewail, uh, bewail rather, the vine of Sibma, with the weeping of Jazer." this is 16.9, and I will drench you with my fears, O Heshman and Elieha, for battle cries have fallen over your summer fruits and your harvest. Gladness is taken away and joy from the plentiful field. And the vineyards, there will be no singing, nor will there be shouting. No treaders will tread out the wine and the presses. I have made their shouting cease. Therefore, my heart shall resound like a harp for Moab and my inner being for Kirhez. God's prophets felt their messages. It helped them to be able to reveal the heart of God, not just his hand. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God wanted to save them. We would say that he was not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance and believe him. We must constantly remind ourselves that unbelievers cannot obey God. If they misunderstand us and mistreat us and persecute us, they're only acting according to their nature, their sin nature. So before you look at somebody and say, my boss is really you know, a bummer, yeah, if he, is he an unbeliever? Yeah, well, it's a good thing he didn't fire you or punch you in the face or do something worse because he, you know, they're unbelievers and they can't act like Christians, not consistently. It's their nature. We had dogs for many years. Siberian Huskies. I don't recommend it. I never thought I'd be a cat guy. In a moment of temporary insanity, Pam bought a cat at PetSmart a few years ago. Then we had another cat. Somehow, this little kitten was under a bush in our backyard going. There's nothing you can do to get rid of a cat except kill it, and I'm not into that. And so, this little kitty, Cora, is my cat. Now I used to carry carried her around the house. She was on my shoulder. Such a cute cool little kitty. And, uh, you know, cats, if you're online at all, you see all these things about cats, all the crazy things cats do, you know, like knock things off tables and tear up your curtains and all that. That's what cats do. I can't even get mad at them. It's my fault. If I have curtains, that's my fault. <laughs> right? I mean, I know that cat is going to tear up those curtains or any kind of cloth furniture. That's my fault. What, oh, honey, I'm sorry. I should have gotten... A, Metal furniture, I guess. But, you know, every day they get the zoomies, you know, where they're running around the house knocking stuff. One of our cats is very nimble. The other cat, my cat, is very non-nimble. And so anyway, you know, this, it's, it's, anybody you're dealing with that's not a Christian, their nature is evil, wicked. They're in their sin nature. And so what, what can you expect from them? The unsafe sinners all around you cannot do anything but Sin. They need a new nature. They must be born again and receive God, the Holy Spirit. And through Moab, we see that God is reaching out to them. Damascus, you forget me to your own peril. The northern kingdom of Israel was also referred to as Ephraim. They and Damascus, the capital of Syria, had been allied against Judah. Both would be besieged and deported by Assyria. Israel was singled out for special rebuke since they had forsaken the Lord. We Christians born again should be held to a higher standard. If you're being held to a higher standard, even if it's not fair, life isn't fair. And you should be held to a higher standard. I should be held to a higher standard uh, because of who we know. The burden against Damascus, verse 1. Behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aurora are forsaken. They will be for flocks which lie down, and no one will make them afraid. The fortress also will cease from Ephraim, the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria... They will be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. It was brother against brother in the promised land. Other Christians are not the enemy. You'd never know that if you're on social media. Uh, Twitter and uh, these other sites, I'm on them, but they empower people to be weird and to say horrible things to each other uh, and belittle each other. So don't go get drawn into that. You don't need to defend yourself. In that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob will wane and the fatness of his flesh grow lean. I wish that would happen to me. It <laughs> shall, that's a new diet plan. The fatness of the flesh growing lean. Keep clicking until you get 59.95. Uh, it shall be as when the harvester gathers the grain and reaps the heads with his arm. It shall be as he who gathers the heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Verse 6, yet gleaning grapes will be left in it like the shaking of an olive tree two or three olives at the top of the uppermost bough, four or five on its most fruitful branches, says the Lord God of Israel. In that day, a man will look to his maker and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not respect what his fingers have made, nor the wooden images, nor the incense altars. In that day, his strong cities will be as forsaken bough and an uppermost branch, which they left because the children of Israel, and there will be no, excuse me, there will be desolation, Because you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not been mindful of the rock of your stronghold, therefore you will plant pleasant plants and set out foreign seedlings. In the day you will make your plant to grow, and in the morning you will make your seed to flourish, but the harvest will be a heap of ruins in the day of grief and desperate sorrow. So here we learn that a remnant would look to the maker and his eyes will have respect to the Holy One of Israel. There are a few other hopeful statements concerning their repentance. God's discipline was working, but it must be carried through. Verse 12, woe to the multitude of many people who make noise like the roar of the seas and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations will rush like the rushing of many waters, but God will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like the chaff of the mountains before the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. Then behold that evening, trouble. And there before the morning, he is no more. This is the portion of those who plunder us, and the lot of those who rob us. Dr. Fruchtenbaum believes that these three verses are looking forward to the Battle of Armageddon. The nations are described as being as massive as the raging of the seas and the roaring of great water. The Lord shall rebuke them, it says, and they shall flee afar off and be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind. And like the whirling dust before the storm, nations will experience sudden terror and annihilation. President Ronald Reagan once said, If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Isaiah warned, You have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not been mindful of the rock of your stronghold. The Hebrew word translated forgotten can mean to mislay, to be oblivious, from want of memory or attention. It is a willful forgetting. Our beloved United States is willfully forgetting God. Unless we repent, It will be to our detriment and possibly downfall. Billy Graham said, if we fail to solve the moral and spiritual crisis, we may be doomed like the great nations of the past. The United States, Russia, Ukraine, China, Iran, Turkey. It's easy to stress over what is unfolding in the world today. Keep the big picture in mind. Factor Israel into your thinking. You know where history is actually heading. You don't know what's going to unfold day by day, but you know the end. And so ask yourself, maybe the most important thing this morning, am I a carefree refugee who looks upon everyone with compassion, not forgetting God? That's what we learn from these four nations whom God uh, chose to accomplish his purposes.